Should we just uh, get this show on the road? I mean, I'm not driving. Okay, let's go. I'm Ian, he's Ollie. Hi. We're both guys, we're chatting about our first times and their first movies. It's the Guys on Film podcast. Un, uno, ichi. There's three different languages there. Great research. Or is that off the top of your head? That's off the top of my head. That's, I speak three languages. Great. And? Four including English. Cool. Well, so. so right from the start here. You're learning stuff. Yeah. Well, no, I was actually going to say right from the start, I'm going to hit people with some promotional messaging. Uh, Is that all right? Yeah, jump straight in. Okay, so I think people should, on the day after this comes out, so if you're getting this on day one, you're getting it hot off the presses, then uh, it's going to be Sunday. You're going to be like, all right, cool. Well, I've got a blank slate on Monday, and Monday's boring for me. What am I going to do? Well, you should go to @gof podcast on Twitter and then check out our new poll because we're going to put out four options for people and they're going to tell us which one they want us to do our next episode on. Okay. That's pretty exciting, isn't it, Ollie? I'm quite excited about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so excited Certain that you have to go and hide to hide your shame in your shed, or not that excited? Not not quite that level. But let's see okay. how we go. Not that length. Okay, so no. yeah, keep an eye out and check out Twitter tomorrow. We'll put up some options, and then if you vote, then we'll just do a show on the one that you want us to do. Sounds exactly. pretty it's interactive, right? We can interact with that. our listeners. And also, people like to interact less with their fingers and more with their mouths, then they can just get their most recent podcast of ours from uh, Alexa or Google Home. So, And what do they need to say in order to... Let's, let's say they're at home. Okay. They're relaxing. They're having a relax. They're in the bath. They would just say, uh, Alexa, uh, yep. play me the most recent Guys on Film podcast. Okay. okay. I mean, it didn't actually respond to me there. I think it just bleeped and stopped. So, you know, just got to enunciate those things clearly. Uh, and also yeah. tell your friends if you haven't already and subscribe, leave us a review. That'd be good. Um, that's fine. I think that's about it. I'll, sa- I'll save the rest of the promotional crap for later on. It feels like we're spending too much time on it. What's on this week's show, Ollie? Okay, what's on this week's show? So we've got a, a seggy one that you've invented and I am having to quickly do on the spot, which is you're, you're going to ask me uh, some Google no, hold autofill on, hold on. Just to, firsts. Just to double yeah, check. Yeah, it's my mistake. It was my having, bad. You're having to do, quick, do that quickly because you just misinterpreted clear instruction, right? That's right. That's yeah. fine. That's yeah. fine. We'll move on. Yeah, there's so, no no confusion there. On the theme of firsts, we're going to go with. Um, so we're in our deep dive. It's going to be directors' first movies. Some good, some bad. Um, but for our segi one, we're going to ask each other some potentially revealing questions about our firsts. <laughs> okay, but not <laughs> revealing in that in that way, in the bad way, but revealing in a good way. I mean, you can argue what's good or bad, but it won't stand up in a court of law, Ollie. So I think we better move okay. on. We're going to have life one? scores. No, we're going to have I life mean, scores. Right, wedged uh, right and, in the middle. Uh, yeah, right in the middle. Slap bang in the middle is a little kind of... Well, I suppose if you think about things in a, in terms of 
a three course meal that you know life school would be your, your main course so it's not really a good analogy um, and then we're going to have our actual main course which is going to be uh, film first so we've taken a bunch of directors that I guess you know we all like and we're going to have a look at you know what their first foray into you know making a film was cool I mean I just did say, say that a second ago so you've kind of said it for the second time and I said it for the first and in a show about firsts, that's pretty embarrassing. Um, yeah. I just wanted to quickly um, just run a couple of rules by our listeners um, about suitable attire uh, while you're listening to the podcast. And I've I've got a couple of options here um, that I want to I, I want to see adhered to basically. Uh, so option number one, you can go for dressing gown and slippers. Um, whether you wear anything below the dressing gown is up to you. Below uh, the Ian, dressing you, gown or underneath? Underneath, yeah. Below. Uh, do you have a, do the you slippers have a dressing are below gown? it? Uh, I do, yeah. Slippers? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got some thin chalet slipper boot type things that I don't really wear that much. <laughs> some booties. Okay. Yeah. Uh, option number two: um, you can wear a pair of slacks and a shirt. Okay, so that's the Peter so Cater option. It's for ease of movement. Uh, <laughs> Or you can wear running gear and a fanny pack to to store your phone in. Uh, those are the three options, um, and I, I, you know that's the uniform, guys. So did you did you think at all, Ollie, when you were coming up with this list of rules that, or, or sort of attire based rules, do you think that you were going to alienate alienate about ninety percent of our existing audience? I think they're just going to get behind it. All right, so there's a guys on film uniform now. Oh, um, you know, and if you are listening to the podcast in one of those three options, then please. Uh, take a picture and tag us in it. Okay. At, fine. Uh, you can it, do hashtag G This is G-O-F all a uniform. convoluted, really convoluted way of basically you getting loads of pictures of people in your fetishized uh, costumes so that you can look at all these pictures in your shed. Oh, I love Second a one. pair of slacks and shirt. I've got, I've got a fun fact, actually. On my, Mine actually happens to be on theme. Okay. What was the first entirely CGI movie, Ollie? <sighs> now you're asking. Shall I tell you? Fully we'll move CG- on. Is it Toy Story? Yeah! Bing! Was Good it? Work. Yeah. Wow. Seggy wow. one. Wow. Brilliant. Okay, let's go. Guys on Bill. Yeah, but guys, we're talking about Bill. It's the Guys on Bill podcast for real. You know what, guys? Seggy one, uh, what I'm going to say is listeners can play along at home or on the move um, so see if you can honestly answer these questions yourself too Okay So just when, when I pose a question or when Ollie poses a question, have a think and just think, you know, what, what would my answer be? Okay, so, Ollie, don't cheat yourself Yeah, don't cheat yourself um, Okay, I've got okay. one for you Ollie Go on him. Okay. Um, what was your first day at work like? And I'm going to talk about Codemasters. Oh, my first day at work at Codemasters was off the chain. Wow. So okay. basically, I had no experience whatsoever of working in the games industry or, or I'd know nothing other than working in a call centre, which is absolutely soul-destroying. 
and working in a pizza place, which, you know, it was quite fun. You get to eat a lot of pizzas and have a laugh. Listen to a bit of um, you too. Listen to a bit of you too. Ace of Bass as well. That was another annoying song. All that she wants. That was that play. That got played a lot. Um, so first day at Codemasters was really good. So it's my first day in the in the games industry. Okay, guys. Uh, so actually, the first day we went out to a place called Myra, which I think is in like Milton Keynes, or I'll have to double check that. Uh, that's a line from the Forex <laughs> Deep Dive. That's, that's um, a lyric. <laughs> yeah. So this is like a, a vehicle testing place. Um, and they've got a rolling road and basically on my first day we went to Myra and we recorded Colin McRae, a famous rally driver, we recorded his Ford Focus um, and that was that was a good day so we mic'd up the Ford Focus and put it on the rolling road. We do it a lot differently now but back then we used like this kind of rolling road that you know means you can go through all the gears and stuff uh, and that was good. I mean I was slightly nervous I guess because... You know, I was 21, I was new. I'd not been to university and kind of winged my way into the job, I guess. Uh, okay, cool. <laughs> What's your first question for me then? Are you going to do a live lookup? Yeah. Great, seamless. Uh, what What's your first memory of Christmas? <laughs> um, so, so, I mean, we're, we're past Christmas now. What was your first memory of Christmas? I can't remember my childhood Christmases all that what? clearly, to be honest. The first yeah, one... I mean, is that because for harrowing reasons? Uh, no, I don't think so. No, probably, almost definitely not. Um, I mean, if it was and I've blocked it out, there's no way for me really to know. <laughs> I, I think I was probably quite late on the one that I can remember. Um, so like 11 or something. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, the one that sticks out in my mind is getting a gold bike. Bloody, oh. not, I mean, not not real gold, but it was this sort of spa- sparkling <laughs> oh, yeah. gold. All right, uh, DJ Khaled. <laughs> oh, mate, got that like gold bike and that. Yeah, no, it was a gold GT Palomar, uh, which was a mountain bike. Didn't have any suspension, but I mean, it was good. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's my memory. So did my next and, one. Did you, ever, did you did you ever fall off it? Mm, no, by that point, I was pretty good on my bike. <sighs> Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. The GT right. Palomar, okay. I think, was my first big boy bike, I think. Had a medium yeah, big bike. Big boy pants, big boy bike. Yeah, the lot. Big boy gold bike. Um, okay, next one. What was your first Owen Wilson film? I'll have to check that. <laughs> Sounds of typing and clicking. He was, in, he was in The Cable Guy, but I wouldn't say that that was... Um, his film his film and I, I also went to the cinema to see Anaconda but again I all I, I wouldn't say that that was his film either no. um, I wouldn't say that Armageddon was really his film either <laughs> right Ollie do you want to talk about something that was his film okay Shanghai Noon that was okay. I mean those are the ones were definitely had Owen Wilson it, but they were ensemble pieces you know he was part of a you know, bigger cast, but Shanghai Noon, he was up front and centre, well, probably just off to the left on the poster next to Jackie Chan, but, you know, yeah. he was he was headline billing. Yeah. So that was Bill my first memory of a... Of a headline of, billing. Well, actually, I think Bill it's a, a pretty decent film. I quite like it. Yeah, I quite in liked fact, it. I saw that in the cinema with my friend Richard, and we thought it was good. Yeah. Did you come out and... Did you go go there on your bikes, or...? 
No, it's a slightly different time, I think. Simpler times. Simpler times. All right, you got another question for me. Okay, yeah. Um, I was simply just want to know what what was your earliest cinema memory? So what was the first film you remember being taken to the cinema to see? It's a bit of a blur between either uh, The Lion King or Mission Impossible 1. I remember what, I had with, a... With Tom Cruise? Yeah, that's Tom Cruise. Okay. Um, I don't mean like original Mission Impossibles from the TV. <laughs> the uh, series. They just started playing the series at the cinema. I remember I think I had my eighth birthday or something in the cinema and like a couple of friends like came what? along. We watched... Yeah, we went out for a cinema trip on my eighth That's birthday. That's pretty cool. Wow. And we went to see Mission Impossible. Did you ever have a, um, a McDonald's birthday party? I think so at some point, but I mean... There wasn't a McDonald's in Fort William for a long time. <laughs> By any you'd have thought that would be the one place that they would have them, you know, with the heritage of the company. Oh, fuck off. So, uh, Mission, Mission Impossible, yeah, 1996. So that was when I was eight. So yeah, that was my eighth birthday. I went to see that. Um, but I did also see The Lion King in the cinema. Uh, that's okay. 94 so yeah that's that was the first thing I saw when I was about or, or at least the first thing I remember seeing I was about 6 and I went to see The Lion King I reckon you probably went to the loo loads as well Dad I need to go to the toilet these lions are making me need to piss um, <laughs> <laughs> no Elton John's music's making me need to piss okay so next okay. one for you what's the first what's your first memory of unzipping your trousers in the shed <laughs> well, I mean, it's only been up since a lot about October. Yeah. September, October time. So okay, I mean, it's so not it was, that much so of a distant. So it was August. Yeah, it's not that much of a, a distant memory, really. Um, no, so I've, I've got a real question for you. So, um, okay. You can ask Gerard. What was your first date? Ooh! <laughs> I think I went to see Street Fighter 2, the movie. Uh, no, sorry, Street Fighter, the movie. You know, the oh. one with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Honestly. So you sat in silence in a cinema and yeah, and then you just watched Jean-Claude Van Damme on his arms. And just thought, thinking this, Blue this vest. film was really, really bad. Yeah. Probably, no. I bet you were loving it at the time, mate. I don't think I was. I don't think it was. I don't think it was actually very good. What was the What was the other half of this equation? Sort of input into that as a choice of date. Well, you know, I mean, you're like young, aren't you, at the time? So you know, you're like either go either go swimming or go to the cinema. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll go so, down the park on on BMXs. Have you got any more? <sighs> um. Well, you've you've asked me an awkward one now, so I feel I feel like can, can can you can you remember? Here we go. Can you remember like the absolute most harrowingly worst time you've ever needed a piss? <laughs> yeah, like, I do the actually. absolute the absolute worst. Like yeah, gone. Yeah, I know it. So it wasn't harrowing emotion. Well, it did get quite emotional, but it wasn't in an embarrassing way. Basically, um, when I came back from university after the first year when I'd, I'd been away in uni, I came back 
to my hometown and we were on a night out there was this massive queue because Fort William's a small town and it doesn't have that many different doesn't places that you can go to late at night at this point it did have a McDonald's um, and I think I'd worked in it after high school or something but, um, <laughs> okay but yeah so we were queuing to get into one of the few open clubs uh, after the sort of pub started to shut at the end of the night and I okay. at that point probably like downed pints of beer or something and we're yeah, in this queue and if if you were to step out of the queue you wouldn't get back in unless you went right to the back again and yeah. uh, I remember and everyone from, everyone from Fort William was there yeah it was fucking loads of people ahead of us so we eventually got to this bit where there was an alley and I could safely get away without being noticed and get back in to the queue yeah um, but up until that point I was hold, like I was literally holding my penis closed what <laughs> <laughs> I tried to, try, try to tie a knot in it um, <laughs> and I was there with my friends uh, Rachel who's been on the podcast and Emma yeah. and um, I think probably like a couple of guys as well um, and, and were I they trying to make you laugh? <laughs> no they were just like hearing from me exactly blow by blow how fucking difficult it was and drip by away. drip drip by drip yeah <laughs> I mean, um, but the the actual. I mean, can you describe <laughs> the relief you know, um, when you finally did get to go? What was the relief like? There? I'm going to find it hard to describe it, but if you picture in your mind's eye, Ollie, the sensation and feeling that you get every time you step in your section, you're somewhere close to the relief I felt. Well, I think it must be something akin to like being in prison, wrongfully imprisoned for many, many years, and then. You know, finally getting to step outside of the walls. Just, no, but the thing—the thing about prison. The, this is the second bad analogy of this podcast, Ollie. The, th- <laughs> okay. the thing about prison is you only get out when it's when it's your time to get out. When you need to have a piss, you can self-impose a rule that stops you from pissing, so that you wait until there's an appropriate time. But you can also just let go and fucking get warm downstairs. So <laughs> yeah. there, there isn't really like an easy accepting it option when you're in behind bars. Uh, have you seen the Shawshank Redemption? I'm, I'm pretty certain that uh, staying inside wasn't the only option. Well, okay, uh, film <laughs> reference. Uh, okay, cool. Um, okay, cool. I think that's yeah. it for our, our yeah. first questions. couple of fun firsts before we move to life scores. What was the first appearance of a cell phone in a movie, Ollie? Was it in Inner Space? A cell phone? No, I'm afraid not. <laughs> okay, uh, what was it? Please do tell. It was one of the massive ones that you have to um, like lift a receiver off and they probably weigh the same as like a sort of amp. Um, yeah, <laughs> okay. And yeah. it's like, uh, so basically it's Danny Glover as Sergeant Roger Murto in Lethal Weapon. He's oh, got really? a mobile phone, yeah. That was yeah. uh, 1987. Okay. Here's one more. What was the first movie to reach $100 million at the box office? Is it Was it Terminator 2? Afraid no, it was a long time before that. It was Jaws. It was Jaws, okay. I thought okay. you'd know that. We've just been chatting about Jaws a couple of episodes back. And we're probably going to be oh. chatting about it a little bit in a minute. <laughs> a little What's bit it? in a minute. Okay, Okay, let's move on. Life scores. Life score. How are you? 
Live score. I'm fine. Thank you. Live score. Out of 10. Live score. Pro- probably like a, th- a 4. That was the live scores, Jingo. So, shall we just crack on with it? Yeah. How are you feeling? What the hell's going on with you this week, Ollie? Let me have a think. Well, not not a lot's really been going on. I've, I've got mad into... Um, well, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I haven't been playing any video games at all. Like, just too busy, been, mate. Well, I have been. I've been really busy to, you know, a bit too busy. I've been running, I've been tired, all that sort of stuff. But <laughs> recently I've been... You must have heard of the uh, the Souls series. This is Dark Souls. Sure. Yeah? You must have heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've I've wanted to play these for ages, but I've always been a little bit put off by the difficulty. So I went back right to the start and played uh, Demon's Souls. I've finished it now, and I've, I absolutely rinsed it. I've spent every night doing it, and it's been Fucking fantastic. Um, for someone that's not been playing games much recently, like rinsing an entire game, that sounds like something that would take me three or four weeks. Yeah, well, the thing is, I've just made the time for it. I've just... I've just done it. I've just gone ahead and done it. But I wanted to mention this particular one because it's just got such a good story. Wow. And it's got amazing characters. Wow. And like I'm always hypercritical of um, video games and characters and stories and narrative and, and all these kind of things. And, I ju- and, and this is quite an old game now. We're talking this is nearly a 10-year-old game. And even the guy that just looks after your weapons your excess weapons in in the hub area has got this huge backstory that's just really sad and touching and you know and it i mean you may laugh but it's i'm I'm just saying to anybody who's listening who hasn't actually sort of played these games that they may be difficult they may be like really frustrating and you have to forget like a lot about what you've already learned about playing video games you know like dying in these games is to be expected and you have to do it over and over and over again to get better but actually sort of just play them for the narrative and the story or even just watch some of the videos on youtube about some of the backstories of some of these characters they're just they're just absolutely fantastic and i just wanted to mention that okay so that, that'll probably get a wow wow yeah um so also on marathon half marathon training front it's been going pretty well i've been a little bit down in the dumps about how slowly i've been running i always check my pace and i'm just i'm going way 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 slower than i've i, I used to but last night all that changed wow and i was quick af i mean not quite usain bolt but very quick uh, quicker than I normally am, so I'm, I'm feeling quite confident now that I'm going to get a decent time. So just let it be known, I'm, I'm going for under two hours, okay, for the cool. half. So that's that's my goal. If I if I come on this have podcast, you done a, and you've say, done a half before. I have. What did you get then? I got one fifty eight. Okay, so you've you've and done like this I said, before. I have, but I've I've definitely put on some weight. And I know I said this last year as well, but I've put on even more. <laughs> so I'm in the process of eating well, not really drinking coffee, not dr- not eating crisps, having Monday to Friday really clean. And then Saturday I have some treats. Treat and Sunday day. I'm back on it. Yeah, treat day. 
Uh, and it, so you're basically I feel like on the, it's, you're on the Butterfield diet plan, that's what you're saying. Yeah, I'm on the Butterfield diet, yeah. So, um, but I'm feeling quite good now, I'm feeling quite positive. Okay. That How being long said, is it until your half marathon? It's the 18th of March. All right. So good. I think I'm about, um, I mean, nothing dramatic's happened. I'm, I'm going to um, London on Saturday to see a band, uh, yeah. Architect uh, Ali Pally. So I'm looking yeah. forward to that. And I might even get to see yourself and... Uh, you know, sometimes collaborator Peter Cater. Collaborator. <laughs> yeah, we might see collaborator. Uh, so yeah, uh, eight and a half. It's eight point five. Yeah, how are you? Okay, um, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm good. I'm uh, training a bit. Not probably as much as I would really want to. Uh, should probably have gone on a run tonight. Um, but instead, yeah, I was supposed to as well. So. Yeah, what time are we at? It's about. 20 to 8 so maybe I can still fit suiting in tonight we'll see how that goes Um, so I'm going to a birthday party on Saturday Um, that'll that'll be nice that's after is it at McDonald's it's not McDonald's it's also not watching Mission Impossible it's similar but I'm going to see Peter Collaborator and yourself probably and then I'm going to go off with Peter Collaborator and let you get on with your um, rock and roll music with Mandy yeah um, yeah, get in the mosh zone yeah uh, I've been playing some video games man okay been, what have you been playing ma- mainly what I've been doing is creating wrestlers in uh, create a wrestler <laughs> mode on uh, WWE 2K18 okay start, you've got that I, now have you yeah I got it now yeah yeah um, I, I'm wondering just to stop you I'm wondering shall I buy it and we can do some stuff over uh the internet twitch yeah wrestle and chat wrestle chat can do i don't pay for the playstation network <sighs> i mean i just don't play enough games to bother so it's don't money I, i'd rather not spend <laughs> okay anyway been playing that a bit I, I was playing another game that i've kind of not gone back to even though i will try and finish it until dawn uh, but other than that Ollie you know lots going on we are actually working on a bit of a project to try and bring the podcast to VR wow. that's kind of yeah. exciting so what yeah. we'd actually like is if people can follow us on Facebook if they don't already like go like our page um, yeah. we want to up the number of people that are on there so that when we do go with our first which is kind of our first podcast in VR that we get a bunch of people who will be able to watch it on Facebook live um, yeah. and, and get behind be it a bit so we're facebook.com really guys on film you can go like that and then there'll be more info coming soon about that Ollie's going to do a little bit of a recce on the VR this week and then hopefully yeah. we'll be able to organise something soon um, yeah. so there's that and then there's a couple other little projects on one of our upcoming episodes we're going to do how to make a movie so okay. um, we're going to see because we're experts yeah we're experts we're also going to get an expert on board to tell us more about it so that's coming uh, but we are going to update a little bit more on uh, the projects that we're doing so those things are making me pretty uh, it's keeping me in high spirits giving you a raging semi uh, it's giving me a raging 8.5 out of 10 nice cool not cool original that's a 7 it's a yeah. slick 8.5 have you tried to create Owen Wilson in Create a Wrestler yet? I haven't, no. 
Um, it's, I think it's pretty easy to do, though. Okay. They've got a bunch of hair um, that looks like him. So, what, what do you think Owen Wilson's life score is this week? Uh, let me just have a quick... What I'll do... I'll edit this, this search out, but I'm just going to type in Owen Wilson into Google. I've actually got one already. I'm going to hit news. I've, I've got one um, already. And he says that he hates watching his own movies. Okay. Yeah, it's sounding pretty bad for him. I've got a quote yeah. from the news on Owen Wilson uh, from today that says, I don't actually know why I'm not in Wes Anderson's new film. Which is pretty sad okay. as well. Sounds like he's having a bad week. I'm going to say Owen's at a four out of ten. And it, so, I've also seen here that he's... Owen Wilson attends the Overwatch League. Um, so he's he's been to... You know Overwatch, the game? There's actually a picture yeah. of him like supporting... Basically supporting uh, people there. So how cool is that? What a nerd. It's all right, I suppose. I'm up for that. That was couple, Blizzard Arena. A couple more firsts, and then we'll move on to the deep dive. So what do you think the first film to depict virtual reality was? Lawnmower Man. Correct. That's another point. Bing. I mean, that was quick. That was quick. Ian, can you just verify how quick that response was? Uh, yeah, Fast. Fast. Faster than you can finish things in your sex shed. The first, what was the first time a toilet is shown being flushed in a movie? I mean, was that a taboo or, or what? I mean, I don't think there was really any reason to show it before. Was it that bit in Gone with the Wind? <laughs> what bit? Well, where he comes out of the toilet, he flushes it and he says, give it a minute. No, it was Psycho in the Psycho. Sort of build up in the bathroom sort of shower scene. Right, okay. Should we de- deep dive? Yeah. De- deep dive? What's important for a director to get right with their first film? I think honing or learning the, the trade. And obviously at that, yeah. at that point, you know, they're, they're new, they're fresh in town, they're, well, they're, you know, they're... they're They've just stepped off off the boat, so to speak, and they're making their first film. Maybe they're not going to be making something too huge, but a lot of first films are passion projects, let's say. like um, They're learning you know, we'll, we'll before talk... your very eyes. Yeah, you're learning before your very eyes. So, I mean, you know, you've got Peter Jackson's Bad Taste, which was, you know, something that he just had to do. So a lot of these directors go ahead and pick up a video camera, and they just get to it. Some of them, like Tony Scott and Michael Bay, other you know geniuses like Michael Bay, they start off in music videos or commercials, and then they move over to. Uh, but we're mainly you know, going to be talking film. about like the first theatrical movie, right? <clears throat> okay, but I'm just telling you, you know how they how they kind of get there. So what's, who do you want to go with first? What's your passion project from inside your set shed, and when do we get to see it? If you're getting of sick of uh, Ian's shed banter, sex shed uh, banter, then please email us at was it gofpodcast at gmail No, it's guys on film podcast at gmail Okay, do that. Right, who do you want to go with first? Um, what I was just going to say about people's first outings, like in a lot of cases, like it sort of sort of proving that you've got competency so that like other like studios don't think you're just going to piss their money up the wall that's what it was all about before 
Um, now in a lot of cases so I'm kind of talking about sort of 60s, 70s, 80s was about kind of proving you can just competently make a film now there's quite a lot of firsts that are coming out and they're like well crafted things that are kind of PR'd as like astonishing movie from first time director so and so and they're kind of like yeah and I kind of feel like it's a little bit uh, contrived and I don't know it's a little bit different well, now. They've, anyway. probably got, they've probably got Steven Spielberg like behind them. You know, like how Patrick Swayze's ghost is behind Demi Moore doing the pottery. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, Steven Executive Spielberg. produced by Steven Spielberg, but first time protege director, so and so. And then they become a yeah. brand in their own right. So maybe that. Yeah. Um, okay, well, the first one on my list, Ollie, is James Cameron. Wow. Shall I run through that real quick? Yeah. So we we, we know that we know that Jim likes to jump in a submersible whenever possible. Um, so Piranha Two, his first film, which was um, working yeah. with Roger Corman, the famous sort of B movie producer who made thousands of films for like tiny budgets and made made good money, I think. Um, yeah. He was jumping in a submersible and getting underwater in Piranha Two, The Spawning. Now, yeah. have you seen this? Um, I haven't, no. Okay, so I, I bought it to watch it. So that's dedication. So I want a point. Yeah. Bing! Um, okay. I've, I've watched it, and considering some of the more recent stuff I've watched, um, including some of the B-movies from around our um, uh, Video Nasties time, I actually kind of feel like this is um, pretty competent it's not as you know a lot of like sort of 70s b movies you get that effect where the dialogue's so staccato and separated and badly edited together that you just have no clue yeah. what the real thing they're trying to evoke is this is pretty decent like it's kind of okay you know what the crack is it's just production values are kind of low um it's um titillating oh um, is it now have you yeah. got any parents card <laughs> i do have a little bit yeah but i have a note myself which was even with clothes on, there's a lot of jiggling in skimpy costumes. <laughs> which means <laughs> and that's that from le- the men. <laughs> <laughs> which means at least like Piranha 3 Double D, which came, like, I don't know, 2011 or 12 or something. At least it's on brand yeah. with one of the early ones, right? So this film is a 15 meta score. So it appears to be worse, but it's actually, I think, better than a lot of the worst sort of B movies. So here's the official synopsis. The official synopsis! A scuba diving instructor, her biochemist boyfriend, and her police chief ex-husband try to link a series of bizarre deaths to a mutant strain of piranha fish whose lair is a sunken freighter ship off a Caribbean island resort. So there's a lot to take in there. There's a lot of stuff going on. there's a lot of plot. Yeah, it's almost completely plot. So, a couple of different things, just skimming over this one then. So, Lance Henriksen is police chief Steve Kimbra. He actually looks and reminds me a lot of Roy Schneider uh, as Martin Brody from Jaws. And he's ba- yeah. I think he's basically, all right, mate, just do the same thing that Roy Schneider did, yeah? Uh, yeah. So, there's that. There's Carol Davis, who's, I've written here, a titillation expert who's been in many similar movies in soft nudity sort of capacity. Um, <laughs> So, all the critical areas covered or unco- well yeah sorry yeah uh, covered but um, highly alluded to <laughs> the first gore in it is a fish jumping out of a dead body in a morgue um, to Ooh. attack an orderly 
sort of flap okay. around in midair. So these are flying homage to Alien. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah. So I I had another note here. It was basically sure, it's more naive times, but there's definitely a bunch of like wave like production wise. There's a lot of people waving plastic shit around in front of the camera, and they right. must have known even then that it didn't look good. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. There's a great line I have here. We've spliced in genes from other animals to make the ultimate killing organism. Is that from Jurassic World? Fred, no, it's actually from Piranha 2, the spawning. Uh, well, I've actually just seen a continuity error here that's quite good. When Steve goes to search for his son, he starts up the helicopter twice. What? Steve, what's he like? That's, um, that's Lance Henriksen. Okay. Forgetful as ever. So um, my question for you here is, what do you think that James Cameron learned from this that he brought over to his, you know, big, you know, next film, which was The Terminator? What do you think he learned? I um, don't know if he took it directly to The Terminator, but he certainly knew how to deal with, like, sort of action-based helicopter scenes. Um, okay. Which he took into Terminator 2. Um, oh, yeah. In this one, Lance Henriksen jumps out of a helicopter. He lands in the water, and the helicopter, upon impact on the water, explodes. <laughs> yeah. When metal hits water, it doesn't explode. <laughs> That's just yeah, facts. Well, um, yeah. I, d- I don't know what you learned from this, really. I guess, um, like I said, probably for the budget, a lot of the films that were made in this way always gave the sense that like, you really didn't feel that the characters had any clear character and like you didn't really know if they were feeling anything i think james cameron was able to have like sort of tense chats between characters conversations that were coherent made sense so i think he already knew how to kind of have dialogue and characters on screen that worked and made sense which i think is unique for the shitty b movie genre okay a couple more little things. So there's another quote I've got. The beach manager, Raul, lists off a, a bunch of different things that are going on at the beach. And there's a lot of, like, cliches in this, like sort of racial, gender, and sexuality-based stereotypes. And he says, um, one of the many things, he says, the bodybuilding competition, which I'll be judging. And it just sort uh-huh. of make, makes him into sort of sexually predatorial sort of cliche camp man. Which is like he's sort of saucy, sort of carry on down the beach sort of character for no reason. Um, So here's some uh, sex and nudity for you. There's some nude underwater fucking. What? (laughs) Does it say that? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, there really needs to be a parents' guide for the parents' guide. For the guide parents' now. guide, yeah. So basically, at the very start of the film, the first time James Cameron's work's been seen on screen, there's a woman telling a man, like, asking him why he's not able to perform, okay. uh, and then they sort of decide like they'll go underwater to have sex instead. But like their conversation had just led to him saying. Uh, you know, I just need to relax and then it'll be okay. So what they decide yeah. to do for him to relax is strap on scuba gear and then dive <laughs> down to a ship and then attempt to have sex like at the sort of surface of the ocean instead. Uh, and then they get attacked by loads of 
fucking mad piranhas. Last couple of bits, there's some harrowing scenes. The worst gore, I think, actually. Worse than the previous one with the one jumping out the body. A man crawls to the shore to have his face eaten off. What? Uh, sorry, with his face half eaten off. Uh, with missing bits of his arm and an eyeball sort of protruding from his skull. He almost reaches a radio to call for help. But then he gets dragged back into the water under the surface by all the piranhas. It's pretty, pretty harrowing. And there's also um, one guy who very emotionally says, they killed my son, as if the fish all have personalities and feelings. How could they? Uh, So, yeah, that's kind of it. I think it's actually quite uh, an entertaining watch. It's good. So you say it's worth a watch? It's worth a watch, yeah. What have you got? John Carpenter. Oh, by the way, my my James Cameron uh, favourite is The Terminator, I would say. So, John Carpenter. Yeah, John Carpenter, or Johnny Carpenter. So, uh, who I've seen perform live in concert. Okay. Um, So, do you know what his first film was? Uh, I don't. It was Dark Star. Oh, yeah, I've seen it. Okay, so this one actually... I'll give you the official synopsis. The official synopsis! In the far reaches of space, a small crew, 20 years into their solitary mission, find things beginning to go hilariously wrong. So I'm actually going to read you a bit of a longer one here, because I think I need to do it. So it's a low-budget story of four astronauts deep in space whose mission it is to destroy unstable planets in star systems which are to be colonised. The late Commander Powell is stored in deep freeze, where he's still able to offer advice. As their mission nears completion, they must cope with a runaway alien which resembles a beach ball, faulty computer systems, and a smart bomb who thinks it's God. So actually, John Carpenter and Dan O'Bannon wrote this one in uh, film school. So they actually started filming it in film school, and then it kind of got a bit of recognition and then they they were able to sort of drag it out to feature length and, and finish it off and and actually theatrically theatrically uh, release it yeah so dan o'bannon obviously he wrote the screenplay for alien alien, alien? with tweet with tweaks from ronald Shusey. i think basically alien was dark star really that's right. Um, yes. But then the ronald Shusey so, bit is the kind of gestation inside the body bit was really what made it Sort of a big deal. But anyway, sorry, carry on. Dark Star. So no, you're absolutely right. And I've got a quote here from uh, from somebody on YouTube that says, Dan O'Bannon plays Sergeant Pinback here. So he's actually also an actor in this one. Um, okay. He's also written both Dark Star and Alien. The connection is the audience failed to realise Dark Star was meant to be a comedy. So it became an <laughs> utter box office bomb. So yeah. O'Bannon said to himself, this is in his own head, if I can't make them laugh... I want to make them scream in terror. I mean, that's quite Garth Marenghi. Uh, hence, he went and wrote Alien, which is basically a horror version of Dark Star. Both films have an alien. Uh, both films have an alien on the loose within the ship and the crew has to find it. Um, it's actually a pretty decent film. It is a bit ropey, but it's got some really good ideas in it. Like the, There's this bomb and it arms itself and someone has to float out into space to go and have a conversation with it in order to defuse it. So it's like a... It's like your kind of classic bomb defusal scene, but they're actually having this conversation with the bomb to talk it down from, you know, exploding. And it's it's really clever. It's really good. There's a lot of cheap SFX in this, which is which is quite Sound interesting. Effects. So this is just uh, sorry, 
special effects. So this is just making it work to a budget. So, you know, you've not got a lot of cash. you just got to make it work. So the double rows of large buttons on the bridge consoles are ice cube trays illuminated from beneath. Wow. Pretty cool. I like uh, it. The space, the space helmets used were part of Ideal Toys' Star Team toy line. Wow. And you can tell because the actors' heads are, like, tiny inside. The, sorry, they're massive inside these tiny helmets. Okay. There's a lot of fun budget effects in here. Um, on the front of Talby's spacesuit is a six muffin muffin tin. Um, you know, it's, uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, stuff there. Just just practically creating stuff, just making this um, set, and it, it does actually look pretty good. You know, to be to be fair, it looks it looks quite decent. And another alien reference in this one is that they actually do the knife trick in here. And oh, actually, really? Okay. Dan O'Bannon wrote it into um, Aliens as a homage to Darkstar. Okay, I so see there where that we go. Comes from. So you're learning what, stuff. Everybody's about, learning um, stuff. What about like the humour though? Because I watched it and I just struggled with it. And um, did you actually find it funny? I found it like not well, not funny, but just in a way that maybe like Hitchhiker's Guide might have. Uh, a kind of wacky idea that whilst isn't funny makes you go huh yeah that is quite clever yeah that's the thing is when you're talking about the diffusing bomb like it's clever but I don't know I think you've got to be like the way the way that it's done is is humorous I mean look you know it's it's not it's not laugh out loud hilarious you know but maybe they needed like a sort of dialogue person to come in and look they're gonna they're gonna remake it with the rock and Zac Efron at some point and I'm sure it'll be absolutely bloody hilarious yeah Um, but what I think that he John Carpenter took on to Assault and Precinct 13 I think he just he just cut his teeth on this film you know obviously it was his ow cut my teeth yeah exactly I I mean I don't know how you cut your teeth I mean but uh, he you know shot did music you know had had a go at the whole bloody lot so he was you know quite used to uh filming setups at that particular point so he could quite easily move on to a small scale film like assault and precinct 13 which is really good again for a for a proper first film um you know that that film is you know quite highly regarded i mean it shows its age but you know but like, yeah. it shows its age it's got it's actually got id <laughs> okay good um... that was a pre-written joke no, I didn't Even think not. it was because it wasn't wasn't well thought through enough. Um, okay, so, <laughs> um, charming. Right, so my next one is Eraserhead or Eraserhead, as they call it. <laughs> Eraserhead, uh, yeah, okay. In um, <laughs> Jared Butler's house. Oh come on! So um, this is basically David Lynch's first film he'd made a couple of shorts beforehand but um, he this is this is his first feature um, okay so you're it's a, a fan weird... of this film right me yeah I, I'm a well, fan no, of... no one else is here yeah I mean I'm not talking to anybody else yeah I, I'm a fan of this film I like it okay so here's the synopsis the official synopsis Harry Spencer tries to survive his industrial environment his angry girlfriend and the unbearable screams of his newly born mutant child. It's a bit of a surreal one, really. It's um, it's surreal normalism, what? if that's if that's a thing. 
So basically, it's yeah. very sort of um, domestic and sort of based around like sort of various different things that go on in domestic life. But then all the different parts of what's going on are like sort of bleed through into things that are a little bit sort of um, I don't know, kind of like fever dream versions of reality. Um, right, and it okay. all, all gets a little bit weird. Um, but there's sort of high pra- high praise for it from the likes of Stanley Kubrick, who made the cast of your favourite, The Shining, okay. watch the film, among others, to get in the mood for filming a horror picture. Okay. So yeah, there's there's it's fairly well regarded. Um, H.R. Giger cited um, this film as one of the greatest films he'd ever seen. Uh, although later on, <laughs> uh, David certainly the best film you've ever seen. David Lynch uh, declined to collaborate with uh, Giger on Dune because he felt Giger had stolen his ideas. So, <laughs> you know. So yeah, basically, it was a bit of a pain in the arse production as well because I think it went on for five years. <laughs> Okay. So when production on the film took longer than expected, David Lynch had to sleep in the same room as uh, Henry for over a year. Um, So Henry being the main character. Um, On IMDb, 167 of 168 people found that interesting. So I'd like to know why the one person didn't find it interesting. Maybe it was uh, Henry. Yeah, maybe maybe it was Lynch who was pissed off. He had to spend a year in a film set. So yeah, it was it was basically like a sort of made in piecemeal fashion, a kind of similar thing to what I'll talk about with Chris Nolan. But over the course of five years, they were just chipping away at bits of it. It initially started out to be this sort of fifteen-minute short for um, film school. He got some funding for it from I think the AFA, and yeah. then. Um, he decided that he wanted to make it 41 minutes and then it went on and went on and went on and then it became a sort of feature length. So was, I think it was like 110 minutes or something like that and then he cut it back to okay. 90 for for his release. And some of the stuff that he cut out was based on like uh, test screenings where people were like, this is mental. Because he was torturing, yeah. the main character was torturing other characters with like um, car batteries and stuff like that. Okay. So he kind of reined himself back in. Um so yeah I think uh, as far as a learning experience goes I think basically David Lynch was like I make films this way I'm absolutely mental I'll do it whatever way I want and I'll take ages to do it and I think that's the way he did it on this one and he's probably just carried on doing that ever since Okay. he sort of refuses to say anything about it because he wants viewers to decide for themselves what they think it means but basically it's a mad one and I actually would be surprised if, if he knew what it was about as well um, because it is a bit of a mad one but it's a very entertaining so like something therapeutic about watching like just the weirdness all sort of evolve on the screen so a couple of quotes one for uh, Ollie I've got a quote from a book today wow how's about right. that is that alright yeah from Masters of Cinema by Thierry Jusset Juicy. Juicy! Who invited Butler? Yeah! Um, A little like 2001, sorry, 2001 A Space Odyssey, Eraserhead exists in a sort of solitary, as a sort of solitary planet floating through the cinematic universe. But unlike Stanley Kubrick's film, 
its cosmic power is anchored in domestic reality. So that's what I mean. It's mainly like in a house, in a bedroom, lots of sort of mundane things like a lift taking ages for its doors to close and someone sort of standing awkwardly inside the lift. And then it goes on to say, it is this realism tinged with strangeness that is one of the keys to the film. I Uh think you'd struggle to find all the keys to this film because you're not going to really suss it out. Uh, Would you be up for watching that all there? Is it a step too far? Is this... (sighs) It is this too arty like for you? I can't be asked with it. All right, well here we go. Just when you said when you said lift doors taking too long to close, I just sort of feel like I'm uh, I'm out. I mean that that's a funny bit. That's probably a highlight for me. Is it? Okay. Well, maybe I'll watch that bit out of context. Um, can we move on? <laughs> well, we can. What I would say though is if people we really need to move on. All right, Ollie. What I would say is if people want to um, vote as to whether Ollie does or doesn't watch. Razorhead, then get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash guys on film. All right, what's your next one? Well, I'm actually going to rattle two quick ones off. Um, so, first of all, just like you do in the sex shed. <laughs> right, I'll give you that one. <laughs> that one was a good one. Uh, you, you're laughing at your own joke. Mm. I mean, it was quite good, though. Standard. So, I, yeah, anyway, uh, right, listen. Um, my my favourite Scott Scott. so his first film was The Hunger we've spoke about this one before Uh, this one stars David Bowie and Susan Sarandon uh, amongst other people but those are the two uh, you know people that you're going to have you're going to have heard of Um, so I'm going to give you the official synopsis the official synopsis a love triangle develops between a beautiful yet dangerous vampire her cellist companion and a gerontologist What's a gerontologist, Ollie? I don't know. Maybe you can have a look at that while I um, while I quickly Chat rattle off it, some. Yeah. So I mean, it's quite a sexual film. Um, you know, as a lot of vampire films are, they're quite sexy in a way. Uh, you know, there's a lot of necking, uh, a bit of nudity. Uh, you know, David Bowie was never afraid to take his tap off. Taps off. So it in in the sex and nudity, I'll just read them in the opening sequence. I mean, this is. Sequence one, a bit like James Cameron, they're getting straight in there with the sex and nudity. A man exposes a woman's breast and kisses them. Uh, that you know, over the credits, um, a man and woman kiss in the shower. The woman's breasts and the man's buttocks are seen. Okay. Uh, there is a substantial lesbian sex scene involving the two leading actresses, including bare breasts on both their parts. And I read I wonder- it like that because it sounds it sounds like they're in trouble for that. I wonder um, how you rate like the substantial, like how substantial is the sex scene? <laughs> this is a substantial <laughs> lesbian sex scene based on uh, length of cuts, I think probably. Yeah. Um, like- so this this has also got a little bit of um, a cameo by Willem Dafoe in it as well, uh, in which director Tony Scott had to actively campaign for. Um, okay. and, and here's my pre-written joke there um, like dads for justice Tony Scott would have been like chaining himself to some railings outside a production oh, company a until he got until he got yeah Willem Dafoe involved okay. um, yeah so it's, it's some may say that this is considered to be um, probably the most one you know, most film that's sort of comparable to Ridley Scott's films because it's quite noir it's pretty dark it's quite slow it's very like artistic in that sort of way it looks quite a lot like blade runner so what i'm gonna say 
is that I think the very first Tony Scott film that's all Tony Scott, pure Tony Scott, is Top Gun. So I think okay. that that is his, his proper first one. Um, Why, did also, you think he was getting help from brother on his first I think I think probably he just that's wanted how, to, that's how you're meant to he, do it. he just wanted to make the more sort of fun action comedy fast paced stuff that's that's just where he's you know where he's you know where he went to I suppose that was his that was his vibe but it does look have a have a watch of it it uh, does I look think quite yeah, it does look quite similar in vibe to Blade Runner. He also did a lot of commercials, and one that he did do is a very famous commercial is the Hovis Delivery Boy, where the uh, oh, boy's yeah. pushing a um, a bike up a hill, and he's got a load of bread in there, and then he you know goes really fast back down the hill again. So he that's did a, that one. That's a great fact. Though. Wow, that is a good one. Thank you. And the next one I just wanted to quickly touch on was Catherine Bigelow. All right, so, uh, so it was her... back and it was back and forth until you try and jam two in at the end. Well, no, I did say <laughs> I wanted to do two real quick ones because you okay. spent fucking forever on David Lynch. Uh, so Catherine Bigelow, dead quick. So she's done obviously Detroit, K nineteen, Widowmaker, um, <laughs> and Zero Dark Thirty. Some really good, some really good films. That um, her first film was called The Loveless. Now I've not seen this one. I've seen Near Dark, which was her next film. Yeah. But this one is Willem Dafoe, his his film debut. And I'll give you the official synopsis. Trouble ensues when a motorcycle gang stops in a small southern town while heading to the races at Daytona. It looks like a really good film, and it, and and I think of all the ones that I've I've had a little research on, this is the one that I. I think I want to watch the most. Um, looks really stylish. Willem Dafoe looks pretty cool in it. He's got proper greasy slick back hair and, and, and leathers. That's the that's the official timer to tell us where uh, we need to stop soon. Um, so it, it's very much, you can see where the transition was between this film and Near Dark. You know, it's a bunch of quite raucous, violent guys, you know, descending upon... Uh, a small area which you know is is near dark oliver stone says that catherine bigelow makes quite violent manly films okay is that you know, a problem which, no he he just says that you know he just says that she she makes quite you know violent manly films um, okay. and she would also she's also said in an interview for for this film as well that she has strong female characters rather than damsels in distress oftentimes they're you know just getting shit done rather than being any kind of damsel in distress and and the loveless looks pretty decent um i recommend you go at least have a little look at the trailer because i think you would be up for watching it as well sure so there's a recommendation for me so anyway where do you want to go now my last one should be a pretty quick one because we've kind of covered him relatively quickly before. I should say that my fav- my favourite David Lynch film is uh, Blue Velvet. What's your favourite Catherine Bigelow one? I'll have to be really boring and say that it's it's probably the last one I've seen, which is Detroit. I thought it was I thought it was really good, and I wasn't really that okay. mad keen on watching it. But like a lot of films last year, I came out and I was really quite taken aback by it. Okay, so I think cool. I, I really like that one. My last one is Chris Nolan, and because I've mentioned it before, uh, I'm going to be really quick about it. So the following, sorry, just following was his first film. Uh, oh, so, yeah. Synopsis is: a young writer who follows strangers from material meets a thief who takes him under his wing. 
So a couple of different things. There's actually what what I'd recommend more here than uh, well, actually even really seeing the film because the film is like okay, I think. But if you're interested in how Christopher Nolan got to know about filmmaking, there's a really good uh, Vice video that he did. Inside the Criterion Collection was the sort of series of videos that they did. But he talks a lot about how he made following. A uh, couple of uh, little snippets from that that were kind of interesting. So uh, he chose to shoot in black and white because eliminating a large set of variables is in like I mean the the palette of colors but also getting the lighting right was a lot more tricky uh with with full color because he obviously wanted I mean everyone knows Christopher Nolan has kind of quite stylized films and I think even from the outset he was like what's the best way for me to create a visual style that people can get behind and he just thought that was too much of an investment both in like money and expertise that he didn't have at the time so the choice for color uh, for black and white was obvious and cheap he also did it mostly handheld but i think i mentioned this fact on another podcast before they did one shot where they had a, a sort of dolly camera i believe that went round an interview scene and it was very smooth and very sort of professional looking and that was at the very yeah. start of the film and that mm-hmm. gives viewers a sense that the overall production values of the film are at a high level. And by the point where any mm-hmm. of the shaky cam stuff comes in, you're not going, oh, what's going on here? You think it's a stylistic choice rather than just being kind of shit. Your mind's sort of fooled into it. So that's an interesting point. Wow. Uh, similarly to David Lynch, it's shot over uh, a long period. So it was weekends over a year because everyone else had day jobs. And one other point was just that they used very simplistic lighting. So a lot of the shots you'll notice if you watch it, there are people standing by windows to get natural light. Um, so that's kind of first film facts in terms of like film school, school learnings. Um, yeah. I've got some trivia. Do you want some trivia? Okay. Christopher Nolan came up with the idea for the film because he had his home broken into and wondered what people thought as they went around looking at his belongings. Ollie, yeah. put yeah. yourself in the shoes of somebody who's broken into your sex shed. <laughs> What's going through their minds? Put myself into their shoes. Yeah, what do you think is going through the mind of a burglar who has just found their way into your sex shed? Well, what will have happened is the door would have locked behind them. Um, <laughs> and they'll be thinking, how the hell do I get out of here? And they'll realise that they're actually now the prey. Yeah. Exactly. The okay. Shed. Coming okay. 2019. <laughs> coming spelt double M-I-N-G. Sooner than you'd like. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> coming sooner okay. than... Okay. Yeah, fine. Move on. I've got some really quick sex and nudity and profanity. Okay, go on. I'll just do the sex and nudity for this one. We see a small, modern-looking statue of a man and a woman on top of each other. So this is a statue. Is that, okay. is that a problem? A woman wears an extremely low-cut dress on a date. Oh. Is that a problem? We should go and see Street Fighter. It's <laughs> a callback. Um, yeah, another one. Final one. A woman talks about how she slept with a man. How dare she? <laughs> okay, fine. That's it. Uh, that's mine. Um, what have you got? Okay, Ollie, Ollie very I can hear you walk. desperate to say something. You you literally just said a minute ago that that was all you were saying, and I said it. You do what I do. Okay. Okay. Uh, Peter done. Jackson. Okay. So I just really want to quickly uh, talk about Peter Jackson. So his first film was Bad Taste. I'm going to give you the uh, 
Official synopsis. The official synopsis. The population of a small town disappears and is replaced by aliens that chase human. F- what? That chase human flesh for their intergalactic fast food chain. Now, the interesting thing about Peter Jackson, I, I guess we've touched upon this with, you know, David Lynch and John Carpenter and Christopher Nolan, is that they start these things off as passion projects. They just need to film. They want to make a film. Um, so. Peter Jackson basically had one camera and just started filming. And this was over four years. So every weekend, practically for four years, filming Bad Taste. There was no script. He just basically, whatever he'd written in the week would get filmed. He made his own camera equipment. So like a Donny rig, a a crane, um, all sorts of like, things that you'd have to go and buy and spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars on. He was making himself welding bits together. Well, um, he I made like, like a, a kind of a steady cam that could have cost like twenty to thirty thousand dollars and it was like twenty twenty quid. Yeah, and it was basically like what a steady cam would look like with a kind of like a vest, I guess, that attached itself to his body, but then he had a huge big concrete weight on the bottom to sort of counterbalance it with a spring you know so he was quite practical he made replica weapons all the special effects himself he he figured out how to make casts and do sort of prosthetics you know he basically learned everything himself he was obsessed from a young age with stop motion do it yourself stop stop motion special effects gore effects all these things just to try and make it so which makes which pisses me off so much now about how CG The Hobbit was when you can see that a lot of that he's really bought through all of his career even into you know obviously going to Brain Dead, which was a you know which was bad taste but up another level but even going to the Lord of the Rings trilogy I know you're not a massive fan of but there was tons of practical effects in that you know tons of pretty clever stuff going on and then you go to The Hobbit and it's it's mostly CG I wouldn't be surprised if he if he does look at it and just goes what have I become? Yeah. What, what, what's your thoughts on... Um, oh, fuck, I forgot the name of it now. His first film. What's your thoughts on it? Um, I've, well, I've seen I've seen Brain Dead, but I never went back as far as Bad Taste. I mean, it is okay. basically... It is it is a... I mean, I guess a student film, I suppose. Yeah. It was one one camera for 90% of it. So it was, not, it was never one that I really sort of felt like I'd want to go and watch. Um, yeah, and, and I'm also, still not... When you look at the list of the video nasties, it's sort of the prosthetic face of the bad alien is the front cover for it. And I always thought that that alien didn't look particularly good. All the other stuff in a documentary that you sent me about it, I really enjoyed the fact that it was very practical and stuff. But that one thing that put me off was like, I don't get it. What's the deal with this weird looking plastic alien? Well, because that's the alien in the film. I suppose. Yeah, I know, but I was yeah, I, it didn't ever make me think I want to watch that video nasty. Yeah, sure. Um, but anyway, it, it's, it makes you appreciate. I think going back to his first film, Bad Taste and Brain Dead, it does make you appreciate the lengths that he went to to become a director to hone his craft, and he'd been doing it from you know such a young age it's well impressive wow yeah. I, was, I was well impressed by it and and i kind of it, it does sort of make me uh dislike the hobbit even more fair enough so what um so dunkirk's my favorite christopher nolan film what's your favorite peter jackson film well 
you know I'm a big fan of the uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, That's so it's going to have to be the first one, Fellowship. It's it's a brilliant okay. film. Wow! Okay. Cry every time. All right, cool. Are we done for this week? I'm done. Yeah. If anyone would like to tell us uh, about a first film by a director that we've not mentioned and something that we've overlooked like a pair of bloody idiots, um, yeah. then you can get in touch at GOF Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And also, get us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash guys on film. Let us know what we missed and send us emails if you have more detailed thoughts. My thoughts are detailed. Um, Maybe you can guys go and watch film these podcast. films and let us know what you what you think as well what do you think of these first films do they represent what these uh, what these guys have have managed to do throughout their career would you watch it a second time hmm. other facts just like could these. you do any better <laughs> um, okay well yeah I think that's us we done certainly you bye bye <laughs>